Good evening, everybody. Uh, we're here for our annual uh, Emerald Ash Borer Task Force uh, plan update. And uh, we are being filmed by Madison City Channel, so uh, when you'd like to speak in terms of our question and answer period, please just press your button and City Channel will be remotely um, turning the microphones on and off from their studio uh, upstairs. So with that, I'll, I'll introduce City Forester. Um, Marla Eddy to begin the uh, presentation. Marla, perhaps you could introduce all the other members of the staff um, task force that are here so sure. that we all know who's on the task force. Good idea. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for the introduction. And uh, we have here tonight uh, some of our EEB task force members. Uh, Carl Van Lith is up here in front, um, who's been a member of the task force for quite a period of time. We also have uh, uh, Chris Kelly in the background, um, street superintendent, and Bill Vanabrook with uh, Fleet Services, and I'm looking for, Katie. there's Katie Crowley, and then uh, Charlie Romines, assistant park superintendent. Um, I do want to point out that this EAB task force was uh, given as a presentation um, for staff for um, our leadership training um, as this was a cross-functional uh, team for the city and how cross-functional teams work in solving and working together on issues within our city. So this was a, a presentation that we talked about. Just few quick objectives on uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. So we're going to talk about what we did in 2016, give you a chance to uh, see the results and kind of achievements that we've done in 2016, talk a little bit about the planned activities coming up for 2017, and then uh, have a little quick question and answer session uh, for the council if they have questions on the process that we've done. Denise. Sure, what we thought we'd do, again, the task force, as Marla's mentioned, is a cross-functional team that was put together going quite a few years back, uh, probably 20, 2008. 2008 is, I think, when we first had to come up with a plan for uh, how to deal with uh, the potential threat of EAB. And, uh, and since 2020, uh, it's not 2012, we pulled together a plan which had specific um, mitigation efforts as well as uh, particular efforts to deal with uh, the infestation that did get discovered uh, here. Um, what we thought we'd do quickly is to kind of give you a, an insight into sort of, for those of you who are not familiar with the EAB, you know, what it is, the Emerald Ash Borer, uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, give some quick background on the science and some of the things we've done, and then also uh, relate our activities back to the approved plan that the Council approved uh, in terms of our plan to uh, mitigate uh, EAB uh, in 2012 and then uh, talk about our activities and how they tied in with those particular uh, objectives that we had and four different ways we were going to deal with that particular issue. And I'll give you the numbers, too, that we've done in the last three years so you can see that as well. Okay, so just a little recap of some biology here. Uh, so what is the emerald ash borer? It's an insect that was imported to the United States. It came from 
Asia. It's about a half inch long, um, and its uh, body on the outside is a kind of a speckly green color, and it attacks our native ash species that we have in the U.S. If you go back to China, uh, you will see that the ash trees that are found in China are not, they do not um, die from EAB. Um, they are able to uh, live alongside EAB, um, so it's not a detriment. So again, that life cycle, uh, right now, um, it comes, what it does is, at this time of year, we have a, it in the larvae stage, which you can kind of see up here in this corner here. That's the larvae stage, and right now it's growing underneath, on, underneath the bark. Um, eventually, when it comes out, it'll come out in a D-shaped hole, and it'll appear like this uh, adult insect. Um, so a little bit of entomology or insect life cycle here for you. So again, how does EAB harm trees? It actually goes after what we call the cambium in the tree, um, the actual vessels of the tree that take water and nutrients up and down the tree. That's how it, it kills the tree. Um, you can see that these trees are showing signs of stress all in a row. Um, they are infested with EAB. How did it spread? Well, you can see when it first was discovered, it was discovered in the Detroit area. Um, and this would be Windsor, Ontario, across the, the way into Canada. And um, at first, the, we didn't know what it was. All the ash trees were dying. We just considered it a decline. Um, but with further investigation, um, we found out it was an insect. So uh, EAD in 2011, uh, that, all the white-colored counties, on this map is where EAB was found. And you can see these big jumps back into 2011. Um, the insect only can fly a half mile on its own. So you can see, well, how is it spreading all the way from over here, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, all the way over to the Iowa border? Well, what was happening is people didn't know that the firewood that they had was infested with EAB, and ashwood is very good to very easy to burn um, when uh, it first is removed. You can bur burn ash right away. You don't have to wait for it to season. So people didn't understand at that point, ah, oh, my ash tree died, I'm going to use the firewood. And then people became the main spreader of EAB. So average for ash trees in our community, um, average lifespan of tr ash trees is 30 to 40 years in an urban environment. Um, ash was a very good native tree for us. It withstood a lot of the different sorts of things that we throw upon it, uh, poor soils, uh, high salt if there's any salt going on, um, air pollution, um, many other things. And ash was heavily planted after Dutch elm disease, um, when Dutch elm disease came through our community in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, ash was the number two species. The number one species that was planted after Dutch elm disease was maple. Um, so we are learning a little bit more what the value of our ash is 
in our neighborhoods and actually how many ash we actually have out there. Ash up north, if anybody does like to go up north in uh, northern Wisconsin, we have a lot of native ash um, areas. That's primarily black ash, um, and they uh, make up a, a lot of the uh, native hardwood stands up north. So the impact is um, detrimental statewide. Original state of Wisconsin approach from the DNR was to follow exactly what the federal government was doing because we didn't understand the insect and where it was found. The original uh, plan was to do a clear cut once we found out where the insect was. We would, what they would hope to do would be do a, a survey and figure out the boundaries of where the infected trees are and then kind of create a fire break and do a clear cut half mile. Well, uh, that worked so far, uh, and then in Ohio they were finding out that the insect was beyond the half-mile radius, um, and uh, it was kind of uh, not a good way to deal with the insect. So we needed an integrated so uh, solution, and that's where we stepped up in the process for figuring out what sort of other ways can we impact this insect, we can do surveys, we can try to trap them like gypsy moth and try to collect them all, um, and then what other sorts of pesticides are there to, to work with this insect and, and bring it to a level that's uh, not as, um, uh, I guess, a large of impact. What, but there is, I got to stress, there is no silver bullet for this insect. Um, it has found, if we remove ash, it has found other places that it can have its life cycle with, some other trees like the white fringe tree and the privet hedge. So there are some places that this insect can go and uh, continue its life cycle if we cut ash down. EAB task force members, uh, you can see here, this is the updated list of all of the folks that have been involved in this process um, from uh, various changes over the years. Um, and you can see, again, how many different city agencies are involved in this process, from finance all the way to fleet services, uh, to streets, because every one of us in this process is affected. Again, one of the things that, uh, if you remember the, the original plan, again, with that clear-cutting idea, is obviously something we didn't want to do in Madison at all. And so putting before the council from the task force was this plan to basically have these four different initiatives, implementing a chemical treatment program, uh, which was one you know, for all terrace trees 10 inches in diameter uh, at breast height. We realized uh, economically and both uh, you know, from the science that the smaller trees, we could remove those and replant and then you know, get further ahead in terms of the cycle of uh, the urban forest, um, but also that uh, trees 10 inches above were worth saving because, again, that life cycle of 30 to 40 years of a tree was something that we valued and that uh, brought, uh, you know, good quality to that. And one of the, the other measures we had there was looking at uh, if a tree was 30 percent, if the canopy was 30 percent uh, uh, impacted, we didn't want to treat trees which had a reduction 
uh, of that nature because it, again, wouldn't work in the long-term perspective. That's why, for example, looking at uh, excluding trees in poor condition or under poor transmission lines. So when we go out and do assessment, you can see we had the chemical treatment program in place. We also, in this next one, preventively removing ash trees during uh, infrastructure projects, kind of went to that same cycle of 30% uh, in the canopy, and then also looking at uh, those under power transmission lines as being ones that wouldn't be treated. Uh, also, the other one, uh, you know, again, the... Uh, Poor condition uh, underneath power lines, so the first three really sort of dealt specifically with the ash tree population and where they were located and uh, parameters on that. And the last one was to deal with more of the ash trees that we found in city parks, right, that we would have this adopt a tree program where people could take on uh, uh, options to chemically treat publicly owned trees in parks. Sure. <laughs> Okay. In the uh, first uh, paragraph, it, the, the, the criteria for um, treatment is in, in regard to uh, the underpower transmission lines. It simply says, except those underpower transmission lines, but under the removal paragraph, under the process of removal, the criteria, in the third paragraph, <clears throat> It says, or under power transmission lines during infrastructure maintenance projects. Mm. So it has that other qualifier that it has to be both. There would be, doesn't have to be both because infrastructure projects can be happening on the street. Uh, and that's a time when we would sort of deal with all, we go through and look at uh, the tree canopy in infrastructure projects already. We identify that as part of the assessment of the project. Right. And then uh, and here's where we'd have a debate. You know, again, we preemptively remove those 10 inches or smaller, but also then uh, look at replacing all the ash trees, you know, in, yeah, a, block, this, in yeah. a process yeah. over time. So It has a qualifier. Is that tree remove, ash trees would be removed under power transmission lines, only I mean, it, you could it virtually reads only during infrastructure maintenance projects. That that's the basic condition here is that it has to be during an infrastructure maintenance project. No, that's that's no. what it says. Yeah, but it, this is an abbreviation of the the larger plan. So <coughs> this is what we put a word in there. Huh? This isn't this, this is what one, we Yeah, yeah, but it's not only then. It's we would preemptively uh, again the chemical treatment plan. Uh, and preemptive removal of poor quality condition trees uh, and then non-treatment of trees underneath uh, power lines, transmission lines was always part of the, the full plan. It wasn't just only during infrastructure projects, the power line piece. That's just wording here. But Well, wording is what we sort of go by. Yeah, usually, but yeah. again, <laughs> if you went back and looked at the full plan, it would, that, I mean, it's, there wasn't a qualifier put in there specifically for only during those periods of time, so. But this is what we passed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So chemical treatment, you know, original, uh, when we looked at the uh, chemical to use, uh, we had some conditions that we 
needed to look at there in terms of making sure that we didn't impact uh, water quality and that we also uh, didn't impact pollinators, uh, right of things. So we identified a chemical that uh, we would inject into the trees and initially uh, from the manufacturing sites that it was going to be a two-year cycle. Uh, but then science and testing done by universities and a bunch of uh, researchers over the last couple of years, uh, we now know that we can go a three-year cycle. So we've been able to extend Instead of doing it every two years, we can do it every three years uh, now. Uh, and again, uh, you can see the number of trees treated for the various, you know, back in 2014, uh, 4,000. Uh, and we did 5,800 in 2015 and uh, nearly 4,000 again in 2016. Our original target was to do about 4,000 a year uh, as we started and to then cycle through the city. And initially, it was going to be every two years. And now it's gone to the cycle of doing it every three years. Again, preemptive removals, these are trees that are, again, remember, in poor condition. Uh, and then during reconstruction, so uh, again, started small, 500, and last, uh, last year we did 1650, and then we did 100 during uh, reconstruction projects, infrastructure improvement projects. Uh, so a total of 1750 in 2016, around 1500. Uh, and then 688 going back to 2014. So again, shows you that it's progressed off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is the removal during reconstruction of those only ash trees there, or or do we or including all the trees as well? Uh, those are only ash trees. And this number is only hundred. ash trees. Yeah. But there will be other additional uh, removals that are deemed part of the project. That is not included in this table. And uh, <clears throat> back on the previous slide, um, in regard to uh, the change in cycle, has that resulted in, I mean, if we have now a 33% uh, increase in the effectiveness of our treatment, are we doing more trees? I mean, are we, are we, I, I see a reduction from 2015 to uh, 2016. Right, there. so we're on a third basis. So if you were to add up the 15 and the 14 numbers, that is approximately the amount of trees that were found to be treatable. Mm -hmm. Now we're going by a three-year cycle, so we've broken the city up into thirds. Mm -hmm. So that's why the number is different in 16. And I do recall from last year you had asked. Same question. Same question, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. Yes. And there, at that point, there wasn't anything forwarded from council or any, uh, for policy or dollar budgetary items to treat anything beyond what was on the street per okay. our plan. But uh, that would be possible given the <clears throat> amount of that the amount of resources we've put into this is consistent. That hasn't declined. So it would seem that we'd be able to bring more trees into the... No, Charlie has something to say. We did reduce in the budget for the EAB this year. I forget the exact number, but it was commensurate with going from a two-year plan to a three-year plan. Oh, so the budget was it reduced? Was, it was reduced, yes. yes. Is budget going to be part of this? No. Uh, we 
No, the no, budget's okay. already passed. Okay, I just yeah. wanted to yeah. view of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. All right. So, again, the third, a third, a third is the process now of going through and treating. Uh, again, street replacement trees, these are always part of the uh, the process, too. Obviously, we're great members of the urban forest as well. So, uh, again, the target being to replant trees within three seasons after a tree uh, was removed. Uh, I think we do planting in both spring and fall, depending on species, other kinds of things. And then it, uh, this number reflects how many tree replaces we've done for those ash trees that we've cut down. So, as you can see, we're continuing to replace uh, trees as we go. The other thing that sort of would, one of the improvement uh, initiatives we have to do is the stump grubbing part, right? Once we take the tree down, the stump is left in the ground, and we have to grub it out. You have to basically dig it out. And, uh, and again, council approved equipment additions, other kinds of things to sort of help with that process because removal is one of the ways that, again, we can plant a tree uh, in that spot. And you can see that uh, streets has kept up well with that uh, can, over the last three years. Can you go back to the previous slide? Sure. And are you replacing these trees that, in some cases, could be canopy trees with smaller trees? I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. So uh, can I rephrase the question, make sure I've got it? Sure. So the, you're asking about the, the size of the tree that comes in after we do the do the removal right okay so what we do is follow right tree right place so in in order to do right tree right place um, that takes into account the growth space not only uh, what's overhead right overhead voltage high voltage power lines um, but also what what kind of soil volume do we have to support a tree for long-term sustainability so if there is an overhead power line, uh, when you say canopy tree, what does that mean to you? Large tree. Large tree. So canopy tree would be something where there isn't any overhead high-voltage power lines. Okay. And we're not talking about streetlight wire. We're not talking about uh, uh, cable. cable or anything like that. We're talking about the high-voltage power line that distributes the electricity through the city. Mm -hmm. So if that's overhead... Uh, that is not a large canopy tree. Okay. But what are you, are you replacing it with, um, what do I want to say, younger trees that are, you know, five feet tall? Um, and we're waiting for them to grow in 20 years? I mean, so the age of the trees is primarily all the same when we buy them from the nursery, pretty year, much. Two so it, they're all pretty much about inch and a half in diameter. Mm -hmm. um, oaks might take a little bit longer to make at that size of a tree. Um, so inch and a half in diameter, uh, usually five to seven feet tall. But the, what we're replacing with those overhead power lines is a tree that is not going to interfere with those power lines. So it'll be a low-growing tree, uh, 20 to 25 feet, depending on the line. Okay, and one other question. Are you removing these trees during the winter also? Yes. And yes. who is responsible for the cleanup of those branches that are left? Uh, sidewalk, 
on the street. So uh, forestry, when we remove a tree, um, forestry is responsible for removing the debris that we generate when we take the tree down. Okay. So if it's a street tree, it's forestry um, specifically to the plan. Okay, thank you. Uh, the, the fourth item that we had uh, from the approved plan was this idea of looking at uh, publicly treating or uh, people adopting a tree, particularly in parks, and then publicly uh, or chemically treating, paying for the chemical treatment of those particular trees. And um, so these ash park adoptions were closed in the 2017, and basically, again, it shows you the uh, Adopted tree program, you know, 90 to 112 people have adopted trees, or 112 trees have been adopted in city parks as we go forward. So, sure. I have a question, so they got my light on, so if you don't mind. Or, uh, about adopting the trees. Uh, what about the trees that are already marked for removal? Is it still possible to adopt those through the end of the year? Or if it's already marked, is that going to get done sooner than would it be possible to adopt them? Uh, we're talking about park adopt trees. Mm -hmm. So um, if the tree is marked for removal because it's in poor health, then it would not be possible to adopt it. If it's just marked for removal because we went through in the, in the parks with orange paint and marked ash trees, so it would be easy, easily identifiable. Um, 2017 will be the last year in the parks. Realistically, we're going to be able to have adoptions. So if any of you have people that might be interested in adoptions, 2017 is the year. Um, and that's just based on the reality of what we're seeing with the infestation moving across the city and tree health. So just because you see an orange dot on a tree in the park, you should not automatically assume it can't be adopted. Please contact us. We're happy to take a look. Sure. Uh, so orange last early last year we went through was was basically marking it as an ash tree um, for removal if it wouldn't be adopted. Um, we've got uh, primarily blue is the color we've used. We've also used a little bit of black, right side up tees, upside down tees, different uh, markers on there to signify to us uh, what year it was adopted. So we would know in the future if that adoption was still active. Obviously, if a tree was adopted in 2013 and we come across it in 2019 and it's only got the marker for us signifying it was chemically treated in 2013, that's a tree that, that's no longer been chemically treated. Does that answer your question? Uh, no, on the, the park tree, or I'm sorry, on the street trees, uh, the yellow dot um, is the mark for uh, removal um, and uh, treated trees. I don't believe we've been putting colors on the street trees. No. The, uh, the ash trees that have uh, been treated on the streets don't have any marking whatsoever. You might see the holes from the plugs in the tree, but there's no marking on the street trees that have been treated. A question I had pertains to this one in the previous uh, slide, which indicates that only a, for, for, nine, for 2015, a fairly small fraction of the trees that were removed 
are being replanted, more so in 2016. And then in the um, previous slide, um, it also indicated a much, just a fractional replanting. What's, what's the uh, program for that? Sure. So for uh, uh, planting trees, we're always going to be that 12 to 15 months behind for removals according to oh, according plan. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, for example, the park number there, um, the 945 replants in 2016 actually relates more to the 2015 number of removals. Oh. The same thing would go for the streets number. The street number we're lagging a little further behind. Part of that is, I think, in 2017 and 18, our first trees are coming in from the contract planting that you all approved, mm -hmm. and thank you. Um, it has to do with just the volume of trees trying to get them in in competition. So we will, that number, that gap will close. Are we um, trying to do one for one? I mean, is that the goal here? The is goal the is, to, is to replant, you know, about one for one. Sometimes in the parks that's not always yeah. advisable because you're, yeah. you're removing volunteers along a streamline yeah. or something. Right. But the goal mm -hmm. is about one to one, yes, sir. All right. Thanks. Uh, so our achievements for the year, um, we continue to meet with city committees, uh, neighborhood groups to talk about the EAB plan and uh, uh, any other sort of questions that we can answer and uh, uh, keep folks up to date. Hopefully everybody, uh, alders that have been notified when we are coming into your neighborhood have been getting your emails. Yes? Okay, and your maps, they've been working out well for you? Okay, good. Um, and then we also uh, continue with that contract row with Johnson's Nursery uh, to make sure those delivery and that supply line is coming through. Uh, we have contracts uh, with deliverables coming in 2018, and that contract goes through 2020. Um, second log auction, uh, we had an urban log auction in 2015. We had one again this year in November. Um, and uh, we also have a partnership with Wisconsin Urban Wood. How many people have actually heard of Wisconsin Urban Wood? Okay, good. Um, so we have a, a relationship with them where they do take uh, trees that we removed in a city park and go through the process of uh, milling that up, kiln drying it, and then using it for different various projects in exchange for product that we can use, such as a table or sideboards for a truck, um, those sorts of things. Um, we continue to follow IPM processes to limit our impact uh, with uh, the pesticide um, and our water systems and our pollinators. Um, we also uh, do uh, emergency tree work as done as needed, non-emergency tree work um, has been po postponed to when um, it makes sense operationally to address those sorts of things, um, such as uh, trimming, pruning for um, different reasons or that sort of uh, like low clearance over a sidewalk. City planning. Uh, and forestry, per council request, we uh, created a white paper together talking about the recommendations about tree preservation during the private development projects. Um, had everybody seen that paper? Yeah? 
Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Alder Kimball, uh, her district is seeing the beginning of the where we removed everything and uh, that stuff of trees that were not treated or were infested. Uh, stumps were removed, and then we are replanting. So Alder Kimball's district uh, has had a full cycle. And as we all recall, that the north side of the city is where we found EAB. Um, we continue to monitor other invasive pests. Um, uh, we do have three areas on the east side uh, that will be treated for gypsy moth. Um, those alders that are affected, Alder DeMarb, Alder Ahrens, and Alder Rummel. Um, so we had enough of a gypsy moth population um, that we do need to do the treatment. So it's been quite a few years since we've done any treatments um, for that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that continues. Uh, City of Monona is not doing any treatments, but I do understand they have a, a good core area of oaks that are being uh, affected. Uh, we also continue to monitor the Asian longhorn beetle. I'm going to pass this around. I expect this back, though. This is the actual Asian longhorn beetle, um, which is another invasive pest imported um, from China, um, and it does attack uh, maple trees. So I'm going to pass this around. You can kind of, this is actual size, okay? Um, Marla, I have a question I've been waiting for. City Channel to, ah, thank you, for several minutes. So it's back several slides, but something that we hear is that, of course, and um, Charlie just said it, of course we need to wait X amount of time before replanting. This is a concern to residents because it's two planting seasons three to planting three. planting seasons, about 18 months. Right. And so there's, like, several streets in my district are going to be without trees for a year and a half. And so I, could you explain why they need to wait so long? Why can't you just take it, grub it, and replant it? Sure. Um, so, for instance, uh, this last year, um, in 2016, in the spring, we, we planted 1,400 trees, 1,460. And in the fall, it's 850, 857. And when you take a look at that, that's just a portion of what, replacements we have going on. So we're also going after the trees that are not ash that need to be replaced. Uh, we're also going after uh, trees that were removed because maple is actually one of those trees that is high up in there too as far as like decline and need to come out. But, but why can't it be done at the same time? Well, it is. It's just a matter of putting all the resources uh, where those sorts of things are going on. Um, when we have new plats, we aren't canceling any of the other planting activities that we need to take on. Um, so we're not stalling on the new plat assessments. We're not stalling on p trees that were not ash that need to be removed. So uh, we continue to up that number and making sure we have the resources to do that. So like this spring, we're geared to plant 3,000 trees. Um, I, I can't tell you the breakdown right now, which ones are EAB replacements or which ones are TID replacements or which ones are PLATs, um, but we're trying to fulfill all the, the planting needs out there. Okay, but you, 
I'm sure you do understand because you get lots of emails from residents of the city that trees are really important to them. And they're going to see their trees removed, not actually their trees, but nevertheless removed, and nothing back in its place for a year and a half. That's just a very long time. And trees really make the landscape of our streets. And so people, our residents, are... Um, I hear from them, I'm sure you hear from them, very unhappy about this wait period. And then my second question, um, which I emailed you today, and I want to make sure and bring it up at this meeting, and, and thank you for getting back to me. Um, we've all had a lot of emails um, with this on the agenda tonight about, you know, changing the policy or understanding the policy around EAB. And um, some of them was comparing to Milwaukee's and citing Milwaukee as being um, different and, in their opinion, better. And so if you could just, and I know we're almost out of time, but if, if you could address that a little bit um, for, you look confused. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how you want me to address that, uh, about Milwaukee's plan versus Madison's plan. Yeah, they're, they're put down as being... Um, more aggressive in trying to prevent removal and why Madison would have adopted something different. If you can, that would. Sorry for putting you on the spot. You look on the spot. So, but well, what do you think the difference is between Madison and Milwaukee? I'm not the city forester. I could. Um, <laughs> and I would like you to address it, actually. I mean, I just got what you sent me, but. I'll, I'll try. Um, first, to your first question. There's not like an automatic wait period of, of 12 to 18 months in order to give ourselves the ability to plant a diverse amount of uh, diversity of trees. In some cases, it may be up to 15 to 18 months before the last trees go in. So sometimes it's within three or four months that, they, that the trees start going in. Okay. Our commitment is trying to have it replanted in total in that 12 to 18 month period. That's helpful to know. Okay. Um, second, as, as it relates to Milwaukee, um, you've all are you seen the response from their city forester I have so there are a lot of different models one can take Minneapolis is removing all trees other other cities particularly smaller trees are trying to you know treat more trees um, we've taken an approach that's that we try to make on sound arbor culturally based decisions um, the decisions that were made in Milwaukee were based on a different set of factors, resources available, um, staffing availability than we had here. Um, I think if you had a candid conversation with their forester, um, I would speculate that he really thinks what we're doing here um, is more ideal than what they've done there. Um, again, trying to bit, but I can't speak for what their situation is for staffing, what their right. concerns are for their constituents, um, their concerns for their long-term their long-term health. But uh, I know that uh, he's been very um, profuse in his praise for the plan that we have and that we're executing here in Madison. Okay. Thank you. Are we deciding who asks? I don't. Okay. All right. Oh. 
Thank you. Thank you. Up there. <laughs> so um, just to follow up on Alder Jamar, so we have been hearing a lot from our constituents, and I think there's a lot of people here today just for this topic. Um, so I guess going forward, given that there is some community concern, I, I would identify certain things, and then I would like to hear what ways you think we could start to address those concerns. And one would be, um, you know, can, you, can we clarify the private treatment? You know, Adopt-a-Tree is seemingly only in parks, but there's some confusion about that. So can we look at that for street trees again? Because that might be one way where people can save a tree that actually isn't necessarily fitting the criteria totally of being failing and it could be saved. The other one is to look at, you know, strategies to deal with taking out trees under the transmission lines. And as you know, I've been working, trying to work on various strategies about partial undergrounding. A, th a third one would be um, um, just the whole strategy. I know you have a, the right tree, right place thing, but I think my personal opinion is we're going to a monoculture of ornamental trees. So how do we balance the loss of our canopy that is so important to our environmental health with the right tree, right place strategy? And so I know there's a, com a subcommittee of the Madison, the Sustainable Madison Committee, are there other ways that we as the council can ask your staff team and others that are um, engaged in this topic to come back with some recommendations to see if we need to update our plans? Well, um, certainly you're able to ask us to do many things. I can tell you that um, based on the Adopt-a-Tree program, perhaps the short, short answers I can give is, the city has made the determination that if the tree is healthy enough to treat, we will do it. And you all have provided the funding to do that. What that sets up then from a risk management perspective is if the city has deemed that the tree is not healthy enough to treat, that we are then going to allow private citizens to fund the chemical treatment of city assets that the city has said are not treatable. And that's not advisable from a risk management perspective. So that's why, above all else, why we've not gone any further with an Adopt-a-Tree program um, on the terrace. Um, help me remember your other, the other points you had real, real quick. Sure. Uh, you know, to say it's a monoculture would, would lead me to believe it's one type of tree. Remember, these trees will get to be 20 to 25 feet tall at maturity. Trees. And to me, I'm not an expert. They sure. look like the same tree. Sure. Um, they're, they're not in all cases, but I understand there, there is a lot of concern about planting uh, trees that aren't going to grow back up into the power lines under power lines. Um, for us, that's a matter of, as Marla has reentered, putting the right tree in the right place. There's a lot of conversation that can be had about creating right places to plant tall growing trees. Um, and certainly we do that whenever it's um, advisable to do so. We believe in a canopy, but if we don't have the space to put the tree in, whether it's terrace, terrace width or overhead power lines, then we can't rightfully recommend that, that we would do that. And you had one other point, I'm sorry. Okay, all right. Okay, I think I'm next. Um, to follow up kind of on a question that Alder Carter started, and I think Marsha was getting at too, um, would it be feasible for us to replace all of the canopy trees, so the bigger trees that are not under power lines with 
replacement canopy trees. Is that a policy that we're doing right now? And if not, is that a feasible policy to implement? So if there isn't the overhead power lines and we have enough terrace width and soil volume to, to support that tree, we are putting in a large canopy tree. Okay. Per, like, a policy decision that instructs that that's the right tree, right place? Right. Okay. Thank you. Apparently I'm next, and I know we're, we're uh, quickly running out of time here. I'll try to limit it to one question. Most of my questions have been asked and answered. The main question I wanted to ask is in terms of predictability for uh, the community as to when preemptive removals will move into their respective neighborhoods. As you mentioned, Marla, earlier in your presentation, you asked us if we're being notified by your office of uh, when forestry staff will be moving into the respective aldermanic districts. And yes, Dean Call, at least in my case, certainly notified me when there would be preemptive removals uh, in the 4th District. It looks like you're holding up, you're anticipating my question, you're holding up the map. My, my main question is, we've seen that map in the past of what, your, what the forestry schedule is. It's not a part of your three-page 2016 update, of course, that we all receive copies of. Is that map updated, and could you provide that to all of us? And yes. Uh, what we'll be doing is, just like we did last year, uh, we'll put a blog out along with that map. And so we will put that up there uh, with our EAB operations plan going forward into 2017. And I, I will say that we have found EAB confirmed in 15 different places across the city. So we're at that point uh, that that EAB population is building. Um, so uh, how this insect responds to an early spring and so forth and the population builds, um, it'll be interesting to see what, what we have um, as far as pest pressure in 2018. Um, but we will have this up. This one is actually by forestry districts. So we will have one up by Alder District. How, okay. soon, how soon do you think we'll see an updated map? Um, this one was just done January 5th. Oh, okay. So it is updated. Um, so you could so send just, that out to yep, us. Yep, we can send that out by Alder District. Much in short order. Yep. Is it possible to also include on the map or a separate map when then the replacement cycle is for preemptive removals? For example, you said in your presentation the 18th, Aldermanic District is getting the full cycle now since... You started on the north side. Is there such a map where, where, where the community can see, as many where of my colleagues going? have articulated already, the frustration of when they'll see the replacement trees? Do you have such a map? No, we do or, not have such a map. Could you we have a treatment a map, and we have a uh, preemptive removal map, but we don't have a planting map. Could you create a planting map in the future? Uh, we can certainly give it a try. That would be great. And then as we're rapidly running out of time here, I also wanted to request on behalf of the, my colleagues that weren't able to be here for your whole presentation, could you email to all alders, please, all of your slides tonight and also the private development white paper. I don't think all of us had actually seen that. Sure. So you could just send out the white paper with that same email that you referenced in your annual report. And then also, just in case you aren't familiar, as many of the task members that are here that could stay, the agenda item 19 for the council meeting is the sole source 
contract resolution for chemical treatment for EAV, and I believe many concerned members of the community are here tonight and want to wish to testify on that item. So I presume that there will be more questions from colleagues when agenda item 19 comes up at the council meeting. So if hopefully several of you on the task force could stay for that part of the council meeting to respond to questions, that would be helpful. And then unless there are any burning questions, I, I think I should then just close. And thank you very much since the council meeting will be starting momentarily. And we can, in a way, continue the conversation of when agenda item 19. The other mic? And agenda item 19 comes up. So. Go to the other side, right? Yes. Thank all you. All right. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody.